Well, guys, I've been so eager for today, excited about Sunday, excited about being together in worship. I mean, just think about the day. We've got so much going on. We've got it in Yandi here. That's so awesome, exciting. It's Servolution season. If you've seen the paper, we'll make some sense of that at the end of the service. We're going to experience and celebrate baptisms together in just a few moments. You'll get to experience that for sure. We get to gather around with family and friends and sing and to hear the truth. Like, I've just been so eager for worship today, but I will tell you what I'm not eager for. That is for tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to Monday because tomorrow I have my annual physical exam with my primary care physician. All right, guys, when you get older, you do this every year, apparently. So why am I not excited? Because I know he's going to test and examine everything, right? It's so thorough. He's going to examine all the things. But one of the things that he's going to examine, this is probably not the worst part for sure, is uh, with this little deal. Anybody recognize it? Yeah, the little, the little reflex hammer. He's going to test my reflexes. You bang the knees, the elbows, the wrists. Do y'all's doctor do that still? Mine does. I mean, it's very, very thorough, right? So here's the deal. He takes the little hammer and he taps on me and he taps to see how sensitive, how good my reflexes are. And when I think about that, it makes me think about today's text, the verse of scripture that we're going to read today, because what this really is, what the messages we continue in the series Resilient talks about today is kind of a, a faith reflex test. Testing the sensitivity, the response of our, our spiritual reflexes. How good and how sensitive is our faith reflex? And what does all of this even matter? So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and we'll see this faith reflex test. Acts 8, 26, we'll put the words of the, the Bible up on the screen. You can follow along there as I teach. Also, I'd encourage you, man, if you need a free copy of the Bible, go by our Welcome Center in the foyer this morning. We want to give you one and send you home with one to read on your own. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let me recap for you a little bit about where we've been as we've been in this portion of the book of Acts in this second series, Journeying Through Acts. So, so far what we've seen is this faith-filled disciple of Jesus that was murdered for his faith. He was persecuted to the point of death. And he was killed because of his belief in Jesus. Now, you would think that the church seeing and experiencing that, man, that that would cause them to shrink, to, to, to go away, to hide. But instead, what we see is the opposite, is this faithful church filled with faithful members, they personally become attacked and arrested. And as they do, and we see the church respond, we see the church respond with resilience. That's why the book of Acts is so powerful and helpful for us. It's a great picture of resilient faith. No, they didn't shrink back back. Instead, what they did is they, they spread out and they pushed out, as Greg described last week, as the diaspora. They pushed out of Jerusalem and into the neighboring towns, into the neighboring region. And as they spread out, they shared the gospel more and more and more, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ into neighboring Samaria, just like Jesus said in Acts 1-8, that it would go from Jerusalem through Judea to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Obviously, we sit here today because it has gone to the ends of the earth and it is still going to other places where it has not yet gone. But what you'll see in Acts 8.26 is this movement from Jerusalem through Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And in this story, this amazing story from Acts 8.26, you will see this really powerful narrative that gives us a really, really clear idea of this idea of a, a faith reflex test. But at the core, at the very center of this is a conversion story, a powerful account. I want you to look at all of the details as it teaches us about having good faith reflexes. Acts 8, 26. 
Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so who is this Philip? Philip is a disciple of Jesus. We actually briefly met him last week as the gospel was going into Samaria. He's someone that God was using to preach the gospel there in Samaria. So the angel said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. So we have this new character in the story today. You have Philip, this disciple of Jesus, who is Jewish, and then you have this guy that the Bible describes as an Ethiopian eunuch that was an official in the Ethiopian government. So let me tell you some more about this particular man. This guy was an African. He was a black African. He was educated and he was wealthy. He was this CFO type leader in the government. So like a, a minister of the treasury, if you will. Now, this guy was also described not just by his ethnicity and his position, but also some physical attributes. He was described as a eunuch. So basically what that means is that this man had been castrated. Why? Well, most likely it was in order to, to retain and to obtain the position that he had within the Ethiopian government. Like he would have voluntarily been castrated in order to hold this position within the treasury. Any way you look at it, this guy is very different from Philip, right? Philip is this Jewish disciple of Jesus living in the Middle East. And this is a guy from North Africa. They have a lot of differences, but one thing that they have in common is what you will see next. So, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Why would a guy go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship? There's only one reason, because he worshiped the God of the Bible, because he worshiped the God of Israel. So he made this journey from his homeland into the place where the temple was so that he could worship the God of the Bible. And on the way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, what we would refer to today as a portion of the Old Testament of the Bible, the book of Isaiah. And he would have had this on a scroll, not in the form of a book. So he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. Now I want you to picture this in your mind, right? It says Philip ran. Why would he run to the chariot? Most likely, and what I believe is because the chariot's in motion. So it's moving and God says, go, go to that chariot. The chariot is moving down the road. So you see Philip and Philip is running, right? So picture Philip in your mind, jogging beside the chariot as this story continues to unfold. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He's listening into his conversation as he's running alongside the man's chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him, maybe a little winded. I don't know. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. Now, it is what we would know today as the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapters 53, verses 7 and 8. This is what the eunuch was reading on that scroll in that moment. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. 
And guys, as you see this story, as you see this powerful narrative with this conversion that will happen in the middle of it, I want you to see this powerful pattern that develops here that really speaks to our faith reflexes. All right, so look back at the pattern and what is the reflex that we see here? Verse 26, the Lord tells Philip, go, go south. What does Philip do? Verse 27, he started out. God says go, and he starts out. God moved him up to Samaria in the north. God says move down to the south, and Philip goes where the Lord tells him. The pattern continues. Verse 29, the Lord tells Philip, go, go, go where? Go to the chariot. Go to this chariot that's in movement and motion, and go run alongside us. So verse 30, what does Philip do? He runs. So here's the pattern. God says go, and he responds. God says go, and he does what God says. This is the healthy rhythm. This is the reflex that we want to develop in our lives, right? What is it? It's hear and obey. Hear and obey. We hear God and we do what God says. Hear and obey. And it really is that simple, y'all. We are Christ's followers. That's what we call ourselves as Christians because we seek to follow the way of our master. And I think sometimes we way overcomplicate this when it's as simple as hear and obey. And Philip is an awesome example of that because the Lord commands and Philip responds. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Philip's reflex, his sensitivity was to the spirit and his reflex was to follow God. So my question for us today is like when you get, when you get tapped, when you get nudged, when you get prompted, when you get tested, when you get called by God to do something, like how do you respond? How do I respond? Is it hearing and obeying? And do we have the spiritual sensitivity to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives like Philip did? I mean, it's so simple. It's hear and obey. It really is that simple. Hear and obey. And guys, if you're a parent, you know this. We teach this to our kids all the time, right? We start when they're really little and we keep teaching the same message all along the way. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. We want you to hear what we ask. We want to hear what you say. We want you to hear what we call you to. We want to hear what we command you. And we want you to obey. We want you to respond. We want you to do it. We want you to do it with a happy heart. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is what we teach our kids. This is what God wants from his kids. And when I think about this in my kids, man, I think about my oldest. She just turned 16 a couple weeks ago. And y'all, she's a sweet kid. She is so fun and so sweet. And when she was little, she was sweet. But um, she was a little bit spicier back then, all right? So she was about three years old when this happened. And this is a story that gets told and retold all the time in our house. This is something we do. We take phrases and they live forever in our family. So this phrase comes out of this story. It was a story about obedience and rebellion, right? So what happens is my three-year-old at the time, Kendall, does something that she was not supposed to do. And my wife, Ashley, very kindly, gently, and clearly gets down on her level. And she says, Kendall... In our family, we do not do that. And Kendall looked back at her mother and said, yeah, we do's. Yeah, we do's do that. Like how often is that us with God, guys? Right? How often does the father say to us, we don't do that or we do this. And we say, yeah, we do's. No, we do not. Right? We're like headstrong, rebellious toddlers. He says, no, we say yes. He says, yes, we say no. He says, go, we say stay. He says, stay, we say go. He says, we don't, and we say, we do's. <laughs> Guys, I want so much. Like for me personally, I want to develop a heartbeat of obedience. 
like a reflex that is so super sensitive to the Spirit's leadership in my life that when he says move, I move. A heartbeat of obedience. I want so much for my headstrong, rebellious heart to be tamed and bridled by the work of the Holy Spirit of God in me. I want so much to be sensitive to the leadership of the Lord. I want to be so used to listening to him that I'm familiar with what it is to hear him, right? So that I can hear and obey. I want to be with him and I want to be near him and I want to know him. So in the presence of him, I hear him so that when he says, move, I move. When he says, go, I go. When he says, stay, I stay. I want so much to have that reflex of obedience. And I want to have that not just when things are are good and normal, but I also want to have that, that reflex of obedience when I'm afraid. When it's scary, I still want to do what he said to do. When it doesn't make sense, I still want to do what he says to do. And that's the example that we have in Philip. You look closer and you understand more of this pattern of obedience here and obey in Philip's life. God says, go, go south on the desert road. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound pleasant. There's more that we know don't know though, right? The desert road was literally this difficult and dangerous place. God is calling him to move out of his people's territory through Philistine territory into a place that was literally difficult because it's desert and literally dangerous because it was a foreign land. He's calling him to go to this place that a Jewish disciple would not normally have taken and would not have taken for good reason. And in spite of having everything to fear, what does Philip do when the Lord says go? He moves. He moves in the face of fear. I don't know if he was afraid, but I know I would be. That's not it, though. That's not all there is to it. God says, go. Go to the moving chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. Go. Go get way outside of your comfort zone and go speak to, witness to, connect with this man who is so vastly different than you that I'm so sure that you must be so far outside of your comfort zone. Go. This is not a person that Philip would have typically associated with. I mean, as far as he was concerned, Ethiopia, in his mind, in his perspective, in his view of the world, Ethiopia was the end of the world. If the gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, well, here we go. Because Ethiopia had to be the edge of the world. But God said, go. What do you do? And he lovingly ran. And what he ran right into is what I would call a divine appointment. Divine appointment is this, this opportunity that God has ordained, that God has created. God is always working, y'all. He's always organizing and orchestrating and ordaining. He's always moving. And a divine appointment is something that God has intentionally set up for his purposes. And you get invited to be a part of it, even if a small part of it. And we see this divine appointment in Acts 8.30. Then Philip ran to the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I? And have you been there? Have you read the Bible and thought, how could I understand this unless someone explains it to me? That's the space this guy was in. And so he then invited Philip to come in and sit with him, to sit with him in his chariot as he read this scroll and asked Philip to help him to understand it. And as you see this unfold in this scene, man, it's awesome. It's really, really a cool thing to see. But I would say to you that I don't think this is very often how this works out in our lives, is it? Like, how often is it that someone says, would you come sit with me and explain to me your faith in Jesus? I've not had that happen a whole lot. It happens some. But more often than not, it goes a really, really different way. We're not often invited to come sit with someone and explain the scriptures to them. In fact, what we as a church want to prepare for is the opposite. We want to be prepared to do the opposite. We want to say to the people that God has placed on our path, we want to say to the people in our lives, 
who are confused, the people in our lives who are curious about truth, the people in our lives that we can tell are searching, the people in our lives that, that for some way, in some way have revealed their own need for Jesus in their circumstances. We wanna to say to those people, man, come sit with me. Instead of them inviting us, we invite them. Would you come sit with me? Like, would you literally come with me on Sunday and sit beside me and together we'll sing the truth and we'll hear the truth and then we can talk about the truth. Would you come sit with me? I know you're curious. I know you're confused. I know you're searching. I know that you have revealed some kind of need. Would you come with me, sit with me, and let's talk about what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done, and who he is. And guys, that's what I want so much for us as a church, like for us to be an inviting church where we are consistently, constantly, passionately inviting people to church, inviting people to sit with us, and most importantly, inviting people to Jesus and into new life that we would have this kind of reflex that would say, come, man, come and sit with me. You're welcomed to sit by my side, and I would love to explain to you the faith that I have in Christ. And the reality is there's so many creative ways that you can do this. It doesn't just have to be about Sunday services. It could be about small groups or as you will hear about in a few moments, like it's Servolution season. How sweet would it be if you took the opportunity of, ser of Servolution and serving outside these walls to invite someone to come and serve with you, someone who's searching, someone who's seeking, someone who's curious or confused. And you say, you know what? Just come and see, come and serve, come serve with me and use that opportunity to say to them, listen, like, why do we do this as a church? Because this is who our God is. Our God is giving and generous and sacrificial and serving. And he gave himself. Why do I do this? Because I'm just trying to follow Christ, the servant, the sacrificing one. Do you want to know more about Christ? You want to know more about this relationship that I have with him? Come, come and see, come and serve with me. Come with me because you never know. You never know when God is organizing a divine appointment and you get the privilege of being a small part of it. And so the Ethiopian official was reading. He's reading from the Old Testament, the prophecy of Isaiah. He's reading what we know is a Christological text that is about Christ, is about Jesus the Messiah. It's a prophecy about what is to come, and Jesus is what is to come. And so the man curiously asks him, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? And Philip said, listen to me. He's talking about someone else. He's not just talking about someone else. He's talking about Jesus. This Jesus that I know, that I knew. This Jesus that lived and died, but he's not still dead. This Jesus that is resurrected from the dead. That's who he's talking about here. You need to know Jesus. And if you look closely at, at verse 35, what you see is that Philip wasn't just obedient. He was also prepared. He was prepared for what God was calling him to. There was a movement of obedience, but there was also this preparation and the reality is we don't have all the details of their conversation, but what is so clear to me is this, that Philip must have shared a very clear gospel message with this man. He must have shared so clearly the good news of Christ with this clear call to respond because of how the man responds. And I don't know exactly what Philip said, but I think he probably said something like this, something like what he himself would have heard from the apostle Peter. In our last series, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
I think something like that that had been modeled for Philip by Peter is what Philip shared with the Ethiopian man because the Ethiopian man clearly heard and understood the good news. He was clearly transformed and changed by it, so much so that he was led to the point of surrender, that he surrendered his life to Christ. And that's where we pick back up in Acts 8.36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. That's incredible. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Well, as he should. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Guys, watch this. What happens in these verses of the passage is that the Ethiopian heard a message, a clear message to repent and to be baptized, to trust in Jesus and to obey Jesus. And because his reflex was so immediate to be baptized, he was so ready and eager to identify himself with Jesus, to identify himself with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, and not just to be identified with Jesus, but to be identified with Jesus' people, the church. That's what baptism is and does. And when you look closely at what the Ethiopian man said, the the posture of his heart, the way that he was thinking, this is what he said. This is what he asked. Like, what can stand in the way of me doing this? Man, what a great question. What can stand in the way of me obeying Christ? What is the barrier? I'll jump over it. What is the hurdle? I'll take it out. Like, what can get in the way of me hearing and obeying what Christ calls me to? What a great question for us to ask. What is standing in the way of you obeying God today? What is it? Because we want to have this reflex of obedience, this hear and obey heart. And in this moment, God used Philip's sensitivity and his obedience to the leadership of the Spirit to bring about, to lead this man to new life in Christ. And what we see in this moment is the gospel is going beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and he's taking the gospel with him into North Africa. Fascinating, incredible miraculous, divine appointment. What you see here in Acts 8 is that the good news of Jesus transcends race and ethnicity and language, that the good news of the gospel transcends culture and heritage, that the good news of Jesus powerfully can change any and all lives for eternity. And that same gospel is still on the move today. He's still moving. He's still acting. He's still creating divine appointments. And he's still doing the work of salvation So what do we do? Like if that's what God is doing, what do we do when he taps us, when he hammers us, when he calls us, when he nudges us, when he tests us? How do we respond? How good and sensitive are our spiritual faithful reflexes? Because what we know is, man, it matters. It matters infinitely. It matters eternally. And this amazing narrative doesn't end with just this powerful conversion and the obedience of the the Ethiopian. I want you to go back to verse 39. This is how it ends. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. Guys, this is wild and unexplainable. I can't tell you what's happening here, but I can tell you this. This is a a pattern in the book of Acts. You'll see things that are absolutely miraculous. I can't tell you if he was just like transported. I don't know. 
Like what I think is he had taken the desert road in obedience and it was difficult. And God said, you know what, buddy? I'm going to give you a little reward. How about I just pluck you up and put you down here, right? You're going to have to take the desert road again. I don't know. I can't explain if he was transported or what. But what I can explain is this, the relationship between obedience and resilience. This is what it's about, church. Obedience leads to resilience. Obedience leads to resilience. God says, go, we go. God says, stay, we stay. God says, start, we start. God says, stop, we stop. God says, love, and we love radically love. Obedience takes faith, right? Think about it. To obey requires some faith from us. Obedience takes faith, especially in the face of fear. Obedience takes faith, especially in the face of the unknown. Obedience takes faith. But obedience also grows faith because when we obey, when we hear God and we obey God and he moves in us and he moves through us and he uses us for his purposes, man, that bolsters a resilience in our heart that we just want to hear and obey, hear and obey and be used by God over and over and over and over again. Obedience to God grows a resilient faith. Active obedience by active obedience, we see our faith expand. Man, I want that. I want to develop a hear and obey kind of reflex to God. The kind of reflex that when God looks at me and the father says, Randy and our family, we do this. I say, yes, sir, we do. You bet we do. Guys, this morning we get the privilege of watching some folks take their next step in baptism and watching them be obedient to the command of Christ to share publicly who they have become and who they are becoming because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Watch this and be blessed. Good morning, Brazos Point. We are here excitedly baptizing two gentlemen this morning. And first we have Keith. Keith um, wanted to make a clear decision to die to his old self and be renewed. Recently, he realized he cannot do this on his own and wants to pick a side and fully commit to Jesus. He wants to start living out his faith, and baptism was his next step. Keith, you believe Jesus is God's son? Yes. You believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, a penalty you couldn't pay on your own? Yes, I do. You asked forgiveness of your sins? Yes, I do. You committed your life to follow him? Yes, sir. Well, Keith, based on your profession of faith, it is now my privilege to baptize you, our brother in the faith, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're raised to walk in a new way of life. Woo! Amen. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And this is Jesse. Um, Jesse did not attend church a whole lot when he was growing up. Um, he'd always spend the... the Weekends going to the lake with family. But about 14 years ago, he lost his son, Morgan. And it hit him at that time that he had to do something. He got active in the church, and the church was a tremendous support to him and his family. Since the holiday season, it has, he's described church as being an emotional experience. And he felt the strong need to recommit and be baptized. No more delay, is what he said. From here is... Just from here, he just wants to learn more. He watches the service every Sunday. has a notebook full of messages just ready to grow and learn more about Jesus. Yeah, Jesse Double Dips. He watches us, and he also goes to church out in Odessa. And, uh, and I, I've known your story for a long time, so I know the answers to the questions. I know that you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. I do. 
just based on your profession of faith, and this is his son Marcus, based on your profession of faith, it is our privilege to baptize you, our brother in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried Amen. with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a new way of life. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Though it is gone, the new has come. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make spiritually dead people alive in Christ. And so just as Philip uh, told the Ethiopian eunuch, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? If you have stepped over the line of faith, but you've not yet gone public with your faith, this is your next step. I hope you'll be baptized soon. That's awesome. Y'all, I should have told you a couple of things. That was just happening live uh, outside at the baptistry, and also it's heated. Uh, so that's a good thing. So if baptism is your next step with God, the pool is heated. All right. Guys, I do want you to pray about and think about your next step. And as we wrap up this morning and as you respond to what God is saying to you, I want to create some space of prayer just for you to do that. So if you would bow your heads in prayer, and I just want you to spend some time to sit in this. Think about the message of hear and obey, the desire to create a reflex, a heart of obedience. Just share with the Lord this morning whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you need clarity on. Ask God to embolden faith in you and to make you resilient. And I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for this story. We thank you that it is a true story. God, we thank you for Philip and his faithfulness, for the Ethiopian and his example. And God, it is our heart's desire to be a hear and obey people. God, teach us to be sensitive to your leadership, to know you, to be with you, to experience your presence and your power in ways that become so personal. God, I pray that you would give us and develop in us that kind of reflex that just moves when you say move. You say start, we start, stop, we stop. God, it's our heart's desire to know you and to make you known. Lord, give us divine appointments. Allow us to be used by you. God, our, 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 our heart our hope is that you would use us. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And I pray specifically over my friends that are, are thinking through something specific, whether it's baptism or a hundred other things that are on their hearts. I pray that you would embolden faith, that you would give them courage. God, that you would take their faith and that you would breathe resilience into it. God, I pray that if they're looking for help and someone to walk this journey with them, that you would pair them with someone that can explain to them what it is that you're doing and calling them to. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.